Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is where we're at. <clears throat> I gotta get my glasses. Hang on. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The text says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, <clears throat> to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So this text, we've already gone through a couple of the words. First of all, the therefore. Therefore is there because of all the other stuff. So chapters 1 through 11, based on everything from verses chapter 1 through 11, now we've gotten to here. In essence, Chapters 1 through 11, all is the theological aspects of salvation. All of it's there. Every aspect of it is there. All that theological um, truths. Now, he says, now that you know that theology, practice it. Amen? Practice it. It's the practical aspect of the book. So you have the whole first part is theology, the second half is practice. Therefore, um, therefore, um, we find the reason it's there is because of all what we just talked about. All right, I urge you. That word "urge" is the idea of um, it's a soft command, if you will, based on God's mercy, which we'll find out in a second. This is what you need to do. And to be honest with you, any true believer recognizing all the mercies of God will want to serve Him somehow in some way. Amen? It will be a desire. And so, that's why he uses the term urge. It's a command that carries full weight of His apostleship. At least that's one view. And uh, I don't know if I would come out as that's a stringent command. Paul was constantly urging people based on motivation, not because he says, but because God loves you. That was the issue. Does that make sense? Instead of making it a, a direct command, it's, it's, it's a command that's kind of motivated in a different source than just the person making the command. This being God and His mercies. Alright, so we talked about that word. Um, it's to the brethren. That means to saved people. This text is given to those that are already born again. Um, we found that out in the text. And then, all I, I want you to sacrifice, which we'll see this morning, based on the mercies of God. And last week, we spent all week, all, morning, all hour, talking about the mercies of God found in chapters 1-11. through 11. His divine love, His grace, the Holy Spirit, peace, comfort, patience, kindness, sharing His glory, honor, righteousness, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification... All right, you get the idea, right? There is a never-ending list of the mercies that God has given you. 
as believers. How can we but not serve Him? Is the real question. Romans chapter 11 says it this way, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became His counselor? Or who first given to Him? Who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. That is a fantastic verse that is summing up, if you will, what chapter 12 is now trying to impose on our lives. How many understand that? It's interesting. Look what he says. Who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? That is exactly what Romans 12.1 is saying. This is what God has given you. All the mercies of God. And I'll, I'll, I'm off of my notes, so let me read what I wrote because I think it's really relevant. <clears throat> Last week we showed to you some of the mercies of God found in Romans 1-11. through That was simply a drip in the vast ocean that has no bottom nor end of mercies, attributes, and acts of a sovereign God toward us. Oh, is that true? So very true. Each and every one of our lives are dramatically and radically changed by these mercies. God took a maggot-eaten lump of refuse. That would be me. And made it one of His own children. That's what God did. His mercies are phenomenal. So, therefore, is the bridge from theology to practice. Um, urge is the soft command. And we're urged by the motivation of the mercies of God to do what? And that's where we're starting this morning. To do what? And that is to present your bodies. The Bible says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies. Present your bodies as opposed... And by the way, present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. There is so much involved in this. To present your bodies, the bodies as some commentators say, the, your bodies as opposed to animal bodies. Why do they immediately go there? As soon as you bring up the term sacrifice, where does your mind go? Amen. They go right. How many of you have ever been around anybody that literally sacrifices as they did back then? I think we lose, we truly lose the oomph behind what Paul's saying because he's literally writing to first century Christians, right? He's, reading, he's writing to them. They know all about that. All you've got to do is go to anywhere and you'll find an altar and you'll find animals' blood being splattered all over. Then you'll see them being burned up. And then all of a sudden, God's saying, hey, make your body a living sacrifice. You're like, what? Think about that. It's quite interesting. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. But... This, this, this does bring to our recollection animal sacrifices that we read about. 
But when he says to present our bodies, he doesn't mean like get up literally on the altar and let's see you burn up for Christ. That's not what he's saying. Obviously, God's not interested in anything, anybody willingly killing themselves. Amen? That's not what God is interested in. By the way, God has given you a great life to serve Him and enjoy Him forever if you'll seek His face. Each life is precious and important to God. This body, what is it talking about? It's not talking about our literal body per se, it's, although it is included. It is also talking about the mind. It's talking about the emotions, the will. Schreiner says it this way, believers are summoned to present their bodies to God. Bodies refers to the whole person. Everything that makes you who you are. That is to be given to God. What you think, what you say, what you do. Where do we find this? It's, it's, uh, it refers to the whole person. It's your minds, your hands, your heart, your feet. All that's included. God wants it all. There is nothing that cannot worship God. Amen? God is everything that He has given you. Everything that He has gifted you with. Everything that He has provided you with. Every part of your being can be a glorification and is supposed to be a glorification to an Almighty God. Amen? It's exactly what it's supposed to be. He wants everything. And by the way, based on the mercies, He deserves everything. Remember your mom. I brought you into the world. I can take you out. There's a moment of truth in there. (laughs) A little snippet. But God is even greater than that. He made you how you are. That's why all this transgender nonsense is such an affront to God and to Christians alike. Because this is how God designed. It's not up to you to change that. God designed you that way. By the way, I grew up in the perfect state of shortness. Right? I was always the short guy. The hyper guy. By the way, do you know why more, many short guys are hyper guys? They, have to, they, they feel as if they have to make up for something. I'm being honest. They want to prove them wrong. Embrace how God has created you. God has created you in such a way to He has a specific general or a specific purpose for you in this life. And He created you to fulfill that purpose. He did. Embrace that. By the way, you can't change anything about it anyway. Doesn't the Bible say, can a leopard what? You can't change that. This is what's so heartbreaking about the transgender movement all in, in, a, a big, in a, the big scheme of things. Eventually, 
Those that have made changes are going to regret what they have done. And it's going to hurt them. It's messing them up. Present our bodies, our whole bodies. The Bible talks about some of this stuff. He says the book of the law, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law should not depart from your mouth. Is your mouth usable to glorify God? But you should meditate. It's your mind. Is your mind usable to God? Day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Psalm chapter 90, verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Our hands can be used as a glorification to God. Matter of fact, I'm looking over, the, over all the audience today, and I will tell you, I can point out person after person after person. They work with their hands to do what? To glorify their God. Say, well, how am I sorting mail to the glory of God? You're serving others. That glorifies the Lord. When you serve others, you're serving God. Amen? Now, we will get into the verse a little bit later that it needs to be acceptable to God. There are work, there are work opportunities today that are against God's will. Amen? They are sin. God hates those. That is not, I'm not saying anything you want to do, do it for the glory of God because there's some things that just cannot be for the glory of God. But working with your hands. And then he, he says it again. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Use our hands to glorify You, Lord. The Bible says the same writer said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. My eyes need to be dedicated to the Lord. Amen? My ears need to be dedicated to the Lord. My mouth needs to be dedicated to the Lord. My thoughts, the intents of my heart, and you can go on and on and on and on. God has created you and every aspect of you must be for the glory of God. No exceptions. Yes, you can have a lot of hair and you can be bald and both can be for the glory of God. Amen? It, only, it, it even goes all the way down to, matter of fact, <laughs> as I was researching um, different parts of our bodies throughout Scripture dealing with the glory of God, I, I came across one, I didn't use it, but he, they literally talk about the big toe. How many knew that? Talks about the big toe in the Bible. How important is that big toe to you? Well, for balance, it's really important. But when you get out of your bed and walk next to the post too close, it's not so nice. My steps have held fast to your path. My feet have not slipped away. Your walk is important to God. Feet that do not do mischief is one of the words. Nothing of the inner or outer man is exempt from this pleading of God. And by the way, this is a pleading from God. You say, well, I thought it was Paul who wrote it. It is. By the inspired words of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
God is saying, I want you to do this. Amen. And I want you to do this because you want to do this based on the mercies I have shown you. God is compelling us that because of His mercies to us, we in essence must present every part of who we are to God. Every part of it. Nothing is held back. And that can get very practical. Young man, if you can't handle the computer screen, get rid of the computer. Your life depends on it. If you can't handle the phone, if it's constantly bringing up wrong pictures, get rid Listen, I have a couple of machines that I can handle that with for you. Bring them on in. I got this cool planer. It's 24 inches, has blade that long. If you can't handle it, don't deal with it. Your life is more important to God than your pleasure of your flesh. Everything. We must present every part of who we are to God. Well, how are we to do that? Is the obvious next question. How are we to do that? How are we supposed to jump up on the altar? One author said it this way. He said he wants us to be a living sacrifice compared to the dead ones. Matter of fact, MacArthur and Lawson talked about that. And, and although that's true, and there's some aspects that we'll get there, the issue is I can just see somebody jumping up on the altar and then jumping back off. That happens, right? Man, today I'm serving the Lord, today I'm serving self. We should always be serving the Lord. Why? Because of His mercies. We should be always, our feet should always be going towards godliness. Why? I'm hoping we're going to get this. Because of His mercies. Our eyes should always be pure and sensitive to what we're looking at. Why? Because of His our tongue should always be that which is godly and good. Why? Because of His mercies. Our nose, our ears, our everything. Did I, have I overemphasized the point? <laughs> everything. Christ says this is a living. Look what it says. It says, present your bodies, which is your whole being. We just discussed that. A living and holy sacrifice. A living and holy sacrifice. Living. Holy. Sacrifice. These three words cannot be changed. Matter of fact, there are a lot of people that want to take these words and just use one at a time. I'm going to do that. But you can't do that as a whole. You are the only living, holy sacrifice there is. Think about that. I'll express it to you. First of all, it's not dead. Morris gives us some interesting insights into this. He says, first century people were familiar with the offering of sacrifices where we are not. They had stood by their altar and watched as an animal, and not just an animal, an animal that you had in your house as a pet, basically. The best of the best. 
They watched the best of the best animal, the, the one they were attached to, identified as their own. As it was slain in front of them in the ritual manner, its blood was manipulated all over. And the whole or part of the victim then was burned on the altar and ascended up in flames to the deity they worshipped. To suggest that they themselves should be sacrifices brought a striking imagery to their mind. How many would agree with that? I think we lose that. We don't sacrifice like they did then. We still do sacrifice. And unfortunately, we make the wrong sacrifices for the wrong reasons. Because our flesh, many times, is in charge. But this sacrifice was living. Now, it is true that animal victims were living when they were brought to the altar. A dead animal could not be brought to sacrifice. That is a true statement. But, but, they were offered, they were offered, when they were offered, they were dead. They were slain. This living, although it does lend some credence to the dead animal versus the live people, it's, I think, a metaphor here, to be honest with you. Living means you are alive in Christ. You're alive. You're a Christian. Now let me ask you, matter of fact, this is why it's important, I think it's very important. Living and holy. Name something in this world that is living and holy apart from a believer. There is none. There is none. Matter of fact, and I'm not, I have not studied this enough, but I'm just going to express this. There is a... I search the Scriptures. I have this search engine. I search the Scripture for holy sacrifice. Now, if you were to do that, you would think, well, all the Old Testament sacrifices, right? Not once in all of Scripture is holy sacrifice written except for Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Not once. That's interesting. So, that, that search... Holy sacrifices, I put them in quotes so it looks for that phrase specifically only once. Then I would take one quote off so it says, quote, holy sacrifice and there's no quote on the end. And what that will do is will give me all the verses that have sacrifice and holy together in that verse or in close proximity. There were like six of them. Not one of them called the sacrifice holy. Not one of them. It was very interesting. Now, I haven't concluded my research. I've just been doing this. Animals, are they holy? Now, were they and, and, now follow me if you will. How many know that there are words that are both verbs and nouns? How many understand that? Can you give me one? Love. 
Right? I love you, that's a verb. I'm in love. What is that? Emotion, right? It is emotion. God is love. That's both active and a noun, right? Here's the reality. Is it possible, and I'm just suggesting you think about this. I'm not going down, I don't want to go down anywhere, anywhere has, nobody has ever been. That's dangerous, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm not going to be dogmatic on this, but here's the deal. There is a sense where God is holy. Right? That is who He is. That's another noun or name that He is used as. Holy. Right? But there's also holy set apart verb. Does that make sense? Now, in reality, yes, those animals were set apart for God. But were they holy in and of themselves? No. Here's the issue. If you are a believer, you are holy. Why are you holy? Because you are in Christ. God sees you as absolutely perfect. Because He sees you through the lens of Christ. Does that make sense? That's why this text when He says, a living, holy sacrifice, that can only be you. It can't be anybody else. When the animal was offered, it's dead. And it wasn't holy. It was set apart for God, but it wasn't holy. Matter of fact, I think it would say with holy set apart, but the, I think you're redundant there. The point is, you and you alone are living. You're alive in Christ. You are not dead to Him. Amen? You're also living, breathing. Which one that is? I, I'm... I don't know for sure, but I'm telling you, both are very, could be very true. Are very true. Holy. You are holy. Next month, matter of fact, next week is next month, right? All right. Got that straight. That's good. We are listening to a song called His Robes for Mine. He clothed us in His righteousness. We can't be righteous in and of ourselves. That's an impossible thing. We are depraved beings. We are saturated in sin. But God, God in His mercy saved us by sending His Son to die for us and clothed us in Christ's righteousness. We stand before God unashamed because we are no longer sinners bound for hell. We are now sinners saved by God's grace clothed in Christ's righteousness. That is a huge deal. So we are a living sacrifice. We are a holy sacrifice. But here's the, here's the big thing. We're a sacrifice! Everybody loves this living. Yeah, I'm living. I'm living because Christ died for me. I'm alive in Him. And I'm living because I'm breathing. And yes, those are true. They love that. How many want to not be living? Can't raise your hand then. Holy. Oh yeah, I'm holy. God, God has freed me from the penalty and freed me from the power of sin. I'm holy. Praise God. Amen. Everybody wants to be living. Everybody wants to be holy. 
Nobody wants to be a sacrifice. Is that true? That's where it's... Well, that means that I'm not my own. There's a verse for that. You've been bought with the price and you are not your own. Well, what about my fun? Do you know there's no greater peace, no greater comfort, no greater enjoyment than in the arms of God? There isn't. You can go from here to there, everywhere you want to go to find peace, find love, find comfort, find whatever godly thing you're trying to find, you will never find it apart from God. I'm going to miss out on some things. I can tell you what I've missed out on. I've missed out on teaching more people theology. And it kills me. I've missed out on sharing the Gospel with people about who God is. And it kills me. There are some people that I've rubbed shoulder with that are in hell today. Do you know what? I could have gave him the Gospel. How about you? I'm not saying they're in hell because I didn't give them the Gospel. I'm saying I should have given them the Gospel. How many get that? So we are not dead. We are living for God. We are a living being. We're alive in Christ. We're holy. We're set apart. This is not temporal. This is eternal. This is purity. This is not contaminated. Obviously, this whole lingo he's talking about is Old Testament language with a New Testament adjustment because it's after the cross. How many understand that? It's an Old Testament language with a New Testament adjustment because it's after the cross. Could not be holy before the cross. Because it couldn't be clothed in Christ's righteousness. Couldn't be pure standing before God. So, let me ask you, are we a sacrifice to God? How are we serving Him? How are we glorifying Him? Well, the next phrase talks about that. Because people get it all confused. So, they say, well, living a holy sacrifice. I give up my Sunday so I can please God. That is like as if you own the day. Let me ask you, who owns every day, every hour, and every part of your being? God does. God does. So the Bible is correct when it says whether therefore you eat, help me out, or drink, or whatever it is, do all to the glory of God. 
Everything you do is for God's glory. Even when that guy cut you off or pulled out in front of you, your mouth is still for God's glory, was it? Your actions were for God's glory, was it? Too many times we jump off the altar. We do. Now, all these things that we're talking about, whether your hand findeth to do what your eye sees, what your nose smells, what you hear, what you walk, what you talk, what you all these things, whatever that is, and the list is seemingly endless, but it needs to be acceptable to God. Not everything is acceptable to God. We have to understand that. Amen? There's a caveat here. Everything you do, do it for God. Okay, so I'm going to do this for God. I know it's sin, but I'm still doing it for God. That makes it right. No, it's wrong. It's even worse. <laughs> In a sense. It has to be acceptable to God. As opposed to, if, if our sacrifice has to be acceptable, then there must be an unacceptable sacrifice. Right? Absolutely. As opposed to unacceptable to God. Anything short of living sacrifice is unacceptable. Acceptable means well-pleasing to God. Let me give you the opposite of well-pleasing to God. Antinomianism. What is antinomianism? Antinomianism. The A word. <laughs> antinomianism it says, apart from the law. Or against the law. How many have heard people say the Ten Commandments have nothing to do with Christianity? How many have heard that? That was just Old Testament. They have swallowed a theology that may just damn them to hell. The Ten Commandments do matter to Christians. They do. Pastor, are you saying you have to obey them? Okay, you're, you're, immediately that question is, is really flawed. You have to obey them. No Christian would say I would have to obey them. They would say I want to obey them. You see the difference? And, and this is a big deal. It's a big deal. Because there's antinomianists out there against people that are against the Old Testament law. Say, well, no, 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 no. We're in a disparate dispensation. That is gone. That is done. We have nothing to do with it. It means nothing to me. The next time someone says that, ask them, then who is God? Because the Ten Commandments express who God is. How do we know that? What did Jesus say when He was, was uh, attacked by the legalistic Pharisees? Do you remember what He said? Hey, which one of these laws is most important? Which one's more important than any other one? And He didn't say, well, this one's more important. He didn't say that. He didn't go down their road. But He did give them thinking material, right? 
He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others as yourself. In these lie the whole law. In other words, the whole understanding of each and every one of them is just love God and love others. Amen? Now, listen, let me ask you. Jesus Christ, He didn't say, well, <laughs> here's what He didn't do. Pharisees, don't you understand this is a different dispensation and the law has nothing to do with me. So what's your next question? He didn't say that. He said, this sums up the law. Love the Lord and love others. Now let me ask you, any Christian that would say, well, you don't have to love God and you don't have to love others. You can just do what you want to do. Are they truly Christians? Antinomians are licensed to sin. If you think you just live your life as you see fit, not looking to Jesus to see if it is, is acceptable, but have swallowed the ridiculous and unbiblical theory of antinomianism and a free license to sin, which is wrapped up in the free grace movement, you have a huge problem. See, it's better if I read it, then I won't get all emotional as much. 2 Corinthians 5. Let's turn there if you would, please. Second Corinthians 5, verse 9. <clears throat> verse, let's start with verse 6, because that's kind of the essence of this. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Because someday we will walk by sight. Because we will be with the Lord. Amen? Verse 8, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. A true believer wants to please God. Amen. 1 John is such a fantastic book. And in that book, you will find, if you love me, then I am one of yours, or you are one of mine. I shared that with one of my uh, uh, seminarian peers. And he said, well, that has nothing to do with salvation. So I asked him, you can hate God and still be saved. Absolutely. I'm telling you, that is the essence of the free grace movement. Be very careful. Have I made that clear? Be very careful. Ananias and Sapphira. What happened to them? Goodbye. All right. Ananias and Sapphira. Were they godly people on the outside? Wealthy and looked like godly people. Came up to give a bunch of money to the church. 
But what was in their heart? It wasn't about the money, by the way. It was about the lie. Listen, we gotta be we gotta remember this. Folks, every single person in here sins. And it usually and, and, and sin is wrong and it's against God and it's bad and it's wicked and we must confess it. The problem isn't the sin as much as the covering up or excusing it that it makes it even worse. How many understand that? When someone says, man, I did this, man, my mom's going to kill me, we've missed the point. How, how many understand that, what I'm saying? When you've done something wrong and you're more scared of mom and dad being upset than you are of offending a sovereign God. Do we get at that? And then parents, we react we like blow a gasket. Or like my grandfather said, I, I, I didn't turn down the teapot. How many understand? He said that in jest, by the way. The, the, the guy that said that, because he doesn't, isn't that way. But he, we do that. And the reason we do that is, how am I going to look? Is that not true? How is that going to affect me? How are people going to look at me? You did that? What are we going to tell people? Who gives a rip? It's about God and God alone. Folks, what, happened, what would happen if your teapot went off if your children knew about all your sins? Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That does not give us a license to sin, but I will tell you what, it gives us the object of who our sin has offended and hurt. It's about God. It's about God. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied. It was all a show. It was a show. And I, I see this so many times. We've been in churches where, um, matter of fact, I was just talking to a couple where their their ecclesiology is that the church votes on which ply toilet paper gets put into the toilet bin. How many understand what I'm saying? And I'm over-exaggerating. I get it. But every little tiny detail. Now, the church needs to be involved in church... Uh, 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 um, the church and elders are all involved together in polity. There's no question. Um, no question about it. But, we have gotten, our churches have gotten so Americanized that it's a democratic experience. How many of you know what I'm saying? And they literally put up a show so that people will nominate them to become ahead of this or ahead of that or whatever. It's all politics. Politics has nothing to do with the church. It needs to stay out. I have never gone to church and been so mad when I left apart from a church business meeting because of the nonsense that just takes place. Now, I get it. The church needs to be involved. Absolutely. Heavily involved. 
how that looks, God left it open somewhat. Number, uh, so this needs to be acceptable. Ananias and Sapphira, it wasn't that their gift was wrong, it was lying about it that was wrong, right? What about the Corinthians? I mean, Paul was just, oh my goodness, he just went after their attitudes. They were wealthy, arrogant snobs. They were. And he went right after them. And in order to go after them, he went after the poorest church and said, hey, these guys, they gave it more than you did for the offering to Jerusalem. What is wrong with you? He got after them about the sitting in the, in the putting a, a, a place of, of importance for the wealthy and then letting the poor sit way in the back. Where they're just hidden away. We don't even see them. And Paul was just infuriated with them. Why? Because it's not acceptable. What about Moses? What happened to Moses? Anybody remember Moses? I'm giving you examples of quote-unquote godly people that act in ungodly ways and it's not acceptable to God. What did Moses do? That stinking rock's not given any water? I'll whack at one or two or three. Right? <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. I don't have a lot of verses. I do have some. So I... Ephesians 5, other verses than our text. The Bible says, um, it's the whole books or the whole chapter. So therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. What does that look like? Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us. And of offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not be, given, must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk of, or court jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. By the way, uh, you know, that's not an issue here, so I'm not even going to adjust it, address it. But I will tell you, a Christian that goes around and just all he does is ever tells jokes, you're not helpful. Not helpful at all. It, I understand. There's a, a joke once in a while. That I, I, uh, there's not a problem with. It. If that's who you are, like a court jester type guy, it, come on. Think about that before you continue. But rather give of thanks for this is you know who. Uh, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Do, can you start seeing what is acceptable and not acceptable to God because of His own words? For you were formerly darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Here's the verse I wanted to get to 
trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Let me ask you, do we know everything that is pleasing or unacceptable to the Lord? Yes or no? We don't. Do we know many things that are pleasing or unpleasing to the Lord? Yes or no? Yes, because we're learning to please Him. There is an example of that in everyday life. Husbands and wives, after the first three weeks of marriage, wow, we got to learn each other, don't we? Yes or no? Absolutely. And we need to, and as you grow in your relationship, you learn how to please them. I'm still learning how and failing miserably. But I'm learning. That same learning needs to be with the Lord. How are you going to do that? Well, chapter verse 2 is going to tell us, which we'll deal with next week, and that is renewing our mind. With what? The Word of God. The Word of God. As we grow together, eventually we understand what pleases them. There is a false, pithy, poetic statement that many people use sometimes, tongue-in-cheek, but many times they truly believe it and they live it. They, it says, happy wife, happy life. How many have ever heard that? Happy wife, happy life. Sometimes people say that in jest because don't want mama happy, unhappy, right? Okay. That is so theologically skewed. Not only the words, and this is just, these are really shallow words and things, but let me give you a better one maybe instead of that. There is so much theological nonsense and unbiblical thoughts behind that statement. A better phrase, although not a great phrase, but a better phrase might be happy spouse, happy house. Because the idea is both of you need, how, need to learn how to please each other. Is that not true? Absolutely. I'm using that as an example. That's the same way with God. The more joy you will enjoy is when you know how to please God more. Amen? There is no greater joy than that. When we're pleasing the Lord, we're joyful about it. By the way, same goes for husband and wife. Their marriage is so much better when they are learning how to please each other. So, was acceptable and unacceptable? Well, you have to understand who is God. Was that a fair point? Who is God? Some of you are sitting here saying, why in the world did we go through a Leviticus chapter 23? Some people really legitimately wanted to know. Many people would not take most of their devotions in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus. Just because, well, there are probably multiple reasons. Folks, Scripture is Scripture. Amen? The reason I had Leviticus 23 read is this. Did God give specific, detailed instruction on what 
how and when to sacrifice. I mean, you just heard it in Leviticus chapter 23. You also just heard it three weeks ago when Mr. Zarin preached on the feasts. There's specific things that need to be done. What happened to people that didn't follow that? I will tell you of one. Don't touch the ark. That's the last thing he touched. God is specific. He cares about It's not whatever you think or whatever you want. After listening to Leviticus chapter 23 and listening to the sermon on all the different feasts, what does that tell us about God? Let me ask you, is it fair to say He is very, very detailed? Absolutely. Does He describe the way He takes pleasure in how worship is accomplished? Absolutely. When mom and dad say, this is how I like things done, and you come home and you didn't do it that way, are they happy? You tell me. No. The same is with God. He's not impressed. Matter of fact, He's hurt. In a sense. He's given you all this and you choose to just disband it and don't care and do your own thing. I'm glad churches don't do that. Why? Why does he why did he give us all these details? Why does he take pleasure in how we worship? Why? Is it possible he did not want the priests to go rogue and do their own thing? Is it possible he didn't want sin saturating the services that are presented on Sunday morning? Is that possible? Not only do I think it's possible, it's highly probable. It is understood then that he does not want and it is unacceptable to do worship in any other way than what he espouses. Would that be a correct statement? No question. Now you understand why I talked to you, Mr. Gaiman, about have you ever been to a, a church just, you know, you're, you're visiting somewhere, you go to this church, and you're like, what is going on? Well, what's going on is they're doing what they think they should do or they want to do. I will tell you, there are many services that are not pleasing to God. Here's the problem. I can't give you practical application because I'm never at any other church. It's a little difficult. How many understand that? But I've seen them. I've seen them. Well, we instantly express that old, that's, that's just Old Testament jargon. We don't have to listen to Leviticus 23. We don't have to pay attention to the feasts. That's just Old Testament. And therefore, it doesn't apply to us. Well, here's the reality. There is a sense where that's correct. A small sense. But the reality is, you're missing the big picture. 
God never changes. God never changes. I would argue the only sense that this is true is that Christ has now fulfilled what has been shown in Old Testament pictures. Therefore, we are no longer required to follow all the details for those pictures. True. But has God changed? Was He detailed then and really could care less now? Is He still pleased with rogue worshipers? Is there acceptable and unacceptable worship today? Yes or no? And how do we know what is acceptable and unacceptable? To be fair, to be fair, the civil laws were for the country of Israel. Amen? There are civil laws in the Old Testament that was specifically given to Israel. Then why are they kept in a book that we read? Because we can know who God is through it. That's why. No, those laws do not apply to us. Those civil laws. But we still serve the same God. So the ceremonial laws were, or I'm sorry, the civil laws were for the country of Israel. They may help us understand God in a greater way, but they were written to govern Israel, and we are not Israel. True. To be fair, the ceremonial laws were for a system designed to show us that we in absolutely no way can obtain our own righteousness and that a blood sacrifice was imperative to remove the penalty and power of sin. That's exactly what the old ceremonial laws did. Sin is this wicked. And this is how you have to take care of it. And then we're all a picture of showing eventually who Christ is. These laws serve their purpose of foreshadowing, if you will, or explaining why Jesus came and made the once-for-all sacrifice. Now that Jesus has accomplished all that the, G- that the pictures could not, by the way, that's a verse also, Jesus accomplished all that the pictures could not. The animals could not take away sin. Jesus Christ and Him alone can. The pictures may be helpful to learn about God, but they do not help us today in redemption, propitiation, and forgiveness of sins. Christ accomplished that on the cross. So we have civil laws, we have ceremonial laws, but there were also another law there, and that was called the moral law. Some people call it the moral law. The Ten Commandments are a different set of issues. I'm going to say that the Ten Commandments, I'll call that the moral law for this purpose. I'm not saying they're synonymous. I'm just saying for this purpose. The moral law, at bare minimum, tells us what pleases and displeases God. Is that not true? Do the Ten Commandments tell us what pleases and displeases God? Yes, it does. It tells us what is acceptable and not acceptable to Him. The Ten Commandments are not done away with for Christians today. They are also not a means of grace of salvation today. Amen. Both of those are wrong-headed outside the lines. 
But the Ten Commandments are important because then we can know how we can please God. Don't ever take His name in vain. He's not pleased with that. Amen. Have no other gods before Him. He's a jealous God. He deserves all our praise and worship. Amen. And you can go down the list. Lastly, how many understand that there is an acceptable and unacceptable worship? And our sacrifice can be acceptable or unacceptable depending on if it's pleasing or unpleasing to God. That's the whole issue. So the last one, the last phrase in this verse is super important. He urged because it's the reasonable service in your King James. And I will tell you right now, the King James beats all the other translations in that word. I don't say that very often. But it is better. That word is better. Let me explain it to you. Reasonable service. The word that is used here, it's, it's a very convoluted and very difficult phrase here. Very. Um, that's why you have spiritual service for worship. Some of you have in your... And that's good too. There's nothing wrong with it. But it misses one, a very important point. That's why I think the reasonable is better. We'll get to it. The word is... And it's funny. I had Logos um, pronounce it for me. And I listened to two preachers pronounce it. And the preachers got it wrong. <laughs> Both times. And it's because of our English. I'm going to give you the wrong pronunciation, okay? Because it's more helpful to help us understand. The word is log logikos. Logikos. It's actually logahos. Okay, that's the actual word. But in order to help us understand the words that are tied to it, we say logikos, right? Gotta get the k in there. Why? When you think of that, what do you think of right away? Logic, right? You think of logic. Where do you think the reasonableness comes in? It's logical. It's reasonable. It's rational. That's the wording there. It's, it's logical. It's logic. Or, here's another word, logarithm. And this is really cool because the way it works out mathematically, you don't have a choice but to lay your life as a sacrifice to Christ. It works out because that's, you can't even, listen, God's mercies were poured on you in such a fashion that all that you are cannot add up to what He's given. So you, he, gives, he gets everything. Does that make sense? And you start comparing all the things that He did. Look at the... Look, <laughs> Look at what He did for you. What were you before you were saved? Throw out some words. Dead. Oh, there is a big one. <laughs> Alright? Dead. What else? What's that? Lost. In sin. Unforgiven. Depraved. I mean, there's so many words. And then God did what? His mercy was upon us and all that was taken away. His mercy shattered those things. 
So how can we repay? We can't. This is the least we could do. The least, in adding it up mathematically, the bare minimum we can do is give everything to Him. And that doesn't even scratch the surface. Does that make sense? That's why reasonable is probably a better word there to help us understand. Now, the spiritual worship is super important too, and that also is found in there. And the idea is you do that by spiritual worship. Does that make sense? It's the action. It's reasonable for you to do it, and this is what you're doing. You're serving and worshiping God. All right. Paul is not merely saying that the sacrifices are spiritual in nature. His point is that it is an eminently reasonable given the mercies of God. It's logical. It makes sense. It's, it's the least we can do, if you would. Let me ask you, are we giving God what is reasonable, rational, logical? If we understand the mercies of God, it's an emphatic no. We're not. And we need to. Powerful passage of Scripture, let me tell you. It's huge. I pray it's impactful for our lives. Scott, could you close in word of prayer? Please stand and we'll pray and then be dismissed. <clears throat> Lord, we just we thank you for good teaching on that passage today, Lord, just the proper exegetical going through it, the practical application. Lord, your mercies are immense, and we take them for granted far too often. I know myself, I want to please you every morning and usually shortly fail. Lord, just lay upon our hearts that we would serve you in a pleasing way in all that we do. And when we do mess up, that you would point that out to us, that we can grow through that. We just give you all praise, Lord, that you do have mercy. Be with those of our church, family, Lord, as we go out this week. Be with those who are at home, healing from illness. Just let us all just remember and seek you throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen.